What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. All right, folks. Faithful Hardwood Knox fans, we are back for another episode. Sadly, we are once again without Adam Frommel, so I'm taking over introduction duties. I'm Andy Bailey. With me, again, is Dan Favalli, a spewer of, I wouldn't say hot takes, maybe, what's hotter than hot, Dan? Uh, We already (laughs) used searing last podcast. (laughs) Sorry to put you on the spot there. Anyway, we're back. This time we're back with some more um, season previews, and we're going to do the Charlotte Hornets. And I was kind of thinking, where do you start with the Hornets? And I think you have to start with draft night and the infamous trade that the Charlotte Hornets reportedly turned down. Um, What was it, four picks, six picks? What did you think about that, Dan? Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, get an amazing deal on Reuben's Corned Beef Brisket, just $2.99 a pound. That's a savings of up to $2 per pound versus traditional grocery stores. Also, start your morning off right with Fersanto Cafe Single Serve Brew Cups. 80-count packages of assorted varieties are just $14.99. That's a wow savings of up to 50%. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. Yeah, they turned down six picks, four of which were first rounders for pretty much the right to draft Frank Kaminsky. You have to believe they're really high on him then. Let me say I love Kaminsky, but I don't agree with this either. Go ahead. I don't think you can. There's not, outside the top seven in any draft, is there really any way to justify, no matter which team you are, taking anyone (laughs) over four first round picks? Here's the thing, like, no, the answer to your question is no. And that that haul, six picks, like, that's typically enough to get you into the top five. So Charlotte could have been thinking, like, well, maybe we can flip all these assets next year and move up in the draft and have a, a better chance at a, an actual star, which apparently they think Frank Kaminsky is. Uh, that or... 
I know we talked about this already because I think we have to admit to our loyal listeners, fiercely loyal listeners, that this is our second go-round on this podcast. We've had some technical difficulties the past couple of times that we've tried to hash this out. But the other part of this is Michael Jordan, the owner who has a lot of say in the decision-making process, really seems aggressive, almost destructively aggressive after that whole Anthony Davis lottery fiasco in 2012 like the the then bobcats were straight out favorites to land anthony davis and they they didn't win it and you were left with michael k gilchrist who's a solid player but he's never he doesn't look like he's ever going to be a star and when you factor in that the hornets haven't really hit on any of their other top draft picks i mean they just traded away noah vonley who they gave a year and didn't even really play him much, and they gave him up for Nicholas Batum. They extended Kemba Walker, but he's probably not even in the top 12 or 15 in his own position. You're looking at Cody Zeller. What is he? And now you have Frank Kaminsky, who you assume they're high on, but history kind of tells us they don't know how to develop these guys or they just haven't gotten lucky enough. So I think that's contributed to as well as their misfortune has driven Jordan to almost lust for mediocrity. Yeah, and mediocrity, that's funny you should say that because that's the word that was running through my head. It's not like win at all costs, it's be mediocre at all costs. He's going out and getting guys that that don't move the needle past like at the very best, 7th or 8th in the West. Um, you bring up Kemba Walker, and he's another guy I kind of want to spend some time on, and I'm sure we'll get back to Kaminsky. Um, but you, I don't know if you've got it pulled up, and maybe I'll just give you some time. Um, but we we found some wonderful uh, stats on Kemba Walker the other day. Um, he's just not an efficient player, and he's in fact he's the opposite. He's horribly inefficient. And in today's NBA, which you know favors pace, space, teamwork, outside shooting, um, he's kind of the antithesis right now as a point guard. Yeah, you're you're never gonna build a top offense around him just because of his ball-dominant, inefficient game. He can't shoot threes. His saving grace at this point is that he is a quality scorer when left to his own devices, even though he's not going to do it efficiently. But also that his contract, which is like four years, 48, I think, it's not going to look bad within the next couple of summers because of the rising cap. But he's incredibly inefficient, which is sort of scary so we were just talking about that stat we had found previously, and we have it up again now. When you look at effective field goal percentage, which takes into account a player's ability to hit two-pointers and three-pointers, of the 99 players to attempt at least 4,000 field goals through their first four seasons, can you guess where Kemba Walker ranks on the scale? You already know the answer since we went this, over this. This is the three-point era, right? Yes, it's excuse me. It's since the three point era, so it's just the last thirty six years. Okay. Oh, I guess he you ranks, have to be with effective field goal percentage. Sorry. Totally okay. <laughs> it, Walker ranks 99th out of ninety ninth on that scale. That is that is awful. <laughs> yeah. So the worst. <laughs> the the absolute worst. And it's that's just the guy who has the ball in his hands for to start every possession and probably for the majority of a lot of possessions. Yeah, most of them. I mean, his, he's the team's number one option by default just because he is their point guard. But has he even led? And I'm actually trying to look this up right now 
and it it's not boding well for him. He has never sort of headlined an offense that ranked outside the bottom ten in efficiency. So I mean, he's he's only been out of the bottom five. It looks like once. That's per, that's super bad. Like, uh, who is who's going to be that go to scorer then that you build around to even have an average offense? Let's take Kevin Walker out of the equation. You sort of know what he is at this point. He's going into year five. Who is it? You have Al Jefferson, who's pretty rangy for a big man, but his contract is coming off the books, and and he's on the wrong side of thirty. Is it Frank Kaminsky? Is that who they're going to? It's not Michael K. Gilchrist. We've left out Nicholas Batum yeah. to this point, but he's also on an expiring deal. And the other what, thing about Batum do? is, I think Batum will bounce back a little bit, but he was he wasn't anywhere near a centerpiece for an offense last season. Um, the, what I also wanted to circle back to, and you mentioned Kaminsky, um, I think even if he he would be suited to be a number one option, which I don't necessarily think he is. Right now, he's not going to be. Kemba Walker's going to have the ball in his hands. And number two clear option is Al Jefferson, who is pretty efficient for a post guy, but post post possessions, just by their nature, are less efficient um, than corner threes or open layups, um, other things like that. So they're just basically designed to be another bottom 10 offense. Yeah, and the only way for them to really sort of rebound is to take this team in the complete opposite direction that they've been taking it. I know they've placed an emphasis on acquiring floor spacing fours over the past couple of years. You look at when they drafted Von Lay or signed Marvin Williams or went after Cody Zeller. Now. Yeah, right. But you look at you look at that and they've never been able to assemble enough floor spacers. You're losing one guy in your point guard, and that's just a given at this point, unless you're able to trade Walker. You have Al Jefferson who gives you some range for a center. Again, he's not going to shoot threes, but he can he can stroke it from you know 14, 15 feet out. But they aren't putting shooters around those two guys, and that's the issue. Maybe Kaminsky is that guy in time, but Batum wasn't that great from three-point range last year. He's been okay for his career. Kid Gilchrist actively avoids the three-point line. His mid-range game is a little bit better, but he can't shoot threes. And now you're even just looking at their power forward position next season, and are we supposed to assume that Cody Zeller is going to start? Like, you have one shooter there, really. Frank Kaminsky, you have Spencer Haas, but it's just none of the options are really intriguing. And that's kind of the, the funny thing to me is, yeah, they're trying to find spacing, but they try to find it in the same position. Every time. So now they've they've stacked up Spencer Hawes, Cody Zeller, Frank Kaminsky, basically every seven-foot white guy that they think should be able to space the floor. Um, how do you choose? I guess you just watch which one shoots best and, and put him in the lineup? I don't – What's what's the strategy? I don't know, and I think that's really where they're lost. And I don't know if you have to put some of the blame on head coach Steve Clifford for not establishing a clear offensive direction. But if you just look, it, and it's, we keep coming back to this because I'm looking at their depth chart, it's so obvious. I was going to say, how do you establish a direction with that roster, though? You can't. And it's yeah. like there's odds and ends everywhere. You've gone out and you've tried to get some spacing just by getting Lamb or drafting Kaminsky. Or even when you went after Harrison last year. You have those guys and Spencer Haas this year. But yeah, then you look at the point guard position. Brian Roberts is your best shooter, and he's really good. 
He's still unproven. Everything he does has come in a small sample size. Your foremost point guards are Jeremy Lin, who's not a good shooter either, and Kemba Walker, who we already know can't shoot. So everything is just so uneven on the offensive end. They're saving grace. I think that's the second time I've said that in this one podcast. No, I was actually going to (laughs) say. Just joking. Their silver lining. Well, if we're looking at their fours, I mean, if, if you expect someone to make an impact in terms of shooting, it has to be him again. Like ESPN has him slotted at small forward though right now. Who, on are we talking? Are we really talking stuff. about Marvin Williams? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was joking. Uh, I know you were joking, but he—he's probably their best floor spacing four right now. I mean, I'm looking if, at Miski's going to be a rookie. Spencer Haas is whatever. Cody Zeller isn't really there. And I think, I think you're implying that that ESPN having him at small forward is wrong, which I would agree with. Yes. I think he has to play the four. Um, and I think Kaminsky is better as a five. Um, I Stretch four has been kind of like in vogue here for the last few years. I think stretch five is about to take off a little bit. Uh, Chris Depp's Porzingis bandwagon. Um, <laughs> Dan is delirious on the other side, raising the <laughs> roof, raising his thumbs. Anyway, so I think Kaminsky's a five. Williams is a four. I think maybe just they need time for this to sort out. Do you maybe just time to let Al Jefferson and I'm probably not Kimball Walker, but at least let Al Jefferson go. He's not part of the front court of the future. No, and you brought up a great point with Kaminsky at center because maybe you're able to slot him there for a little bit this year just to let him get acclimated to facing NBA bodies. But next year, you're, maybe you don't have Al Jefferson. He'll be a free agent. So you put him there full time, and that'll sort of pave the way for you to go in what they're calling small ball, but I've researched this. It's not really small ball. It's just regular-sized players playing a small man's game. For sure. Um, Maybe you slot Michael K. Gilchrist at power forward. Again, he's 6'8". He's not going to space the floor, but he would open up lineups where you can run Batum, MKG, Kemba Walker, Kaminsky, and you know who do I name there? Yeah, so maybe. Just like a shooter for the uh, shooting guard. Somebody who can actually shoot. Jeremy Lamb, yeah. maybe. Who's not on the roster already, though. I think we need to stress that. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, Jeremy Unless Lamb, Jeremy Lamb takes off, yeah. Yeah, so maybe you go that route, or maybe... Let me think like eight steps ahead and way off to the left. What if you're not even planning on maybe bringing MKG back? Maybe you're going to use him as trade bait as that defensive specialist where you're prepared to invest heavily in Batum. He can play a little bit of the four. Portland did it. You can get away with that in today's NBA. So you run with him in Kaminsky, and then you let you try and sort out the other three positions. I would shop Kemba Walker like crazy. I don't know if they'll do that, but at least you can look at those two and three spots and be like, Let's use our cap room or whatever flexibility we have to try and address those needs. That might be their best course of action, so to speak. Okay, so I that that took me aback a little bit thinking about um, shopping MKG and kind of going all in on Batum. I guess he's only twenty six years old. I had no idea Batum was that young. It feels like he's been in the league for ten years. Um, that's the actually, trailblazer effect, I think. I don't maybe. know. I feel like Lamarcus Aldridge has been around for twenty. It's like a it's a time warp continuum, something like that. Um, <laughs> I I actually don't mind that, and I don't know if you'll you'll get a ton for either one of those guys. Um, but Batum, like like we've said a couple times, he had a rough season last year, but I still I kind of believe in him as 
Towns, one of those prototype players for the new NBA. Somebody who can play two or three positions, is really long, um, can defend all over the floor, can shoot. He didn't really show it last year, but he, he's a pretty solid shooter. I should probably look up his career percentage um, as I'm rambling. But he does a lot of the kind of things that you want, and he's still comfortably on the right side of 30. He's a career 36% three-point shooter. So that works for me. Yeah, I mean, he has to. We're going off last season. He was playing through injury, so good he point. has to rebound, but Very he's young point. enough to where you're like, hey, you know, this isn't a 35 year old Kobe we're talking about. Like, he should come back. He's not dealing with Achilles injuries like Wesley Matthews is in Dallas now. So I, I think it's good. I don't know if, if he's going to have a good year just because they're. The Charlotte's offensive system is yeah, so out of whack. It's going to be hard, especially but, if he's slated with a bunch of non-shooters like Walker and MKG and Jefferson. I'm, I'm all for trading MKG, though, and it's not because I actually like him as a player again. That his mid-range game is coming along gives you some hope. Maybe he can turn into a three and D guy in the future because he already looks like he could be one of those perimeter players to contend for defensive player of the year. He defends, yeah. in my opinion, just as well as Kawhi Leonard. It's just that he's not polished on the offensive end even a little bit. What do you use him to do? Like, if they're trying to trade him. No, oh, I'm talking this, about... Okay. Because he's a big asset since he's going into restricted free agency. The team that trades him can essentially keep him because they're going to match any offer. I'm almost inclined to be like, hey, go after a point guard, even though you already have Kember. But I think you would have to try and address the three and the two. Maybe go after a combo guard. It would be fun to see if Phoenix was feeling wacky and ready to give up on Eric Bledsoe or something. I don't know. Him and Kemba Walker would be weird in the backcourt. Yeah. I don't know if you can dump Walker somewhere else. But I think I, you use MKG to address the spacing and just overall needs at the two and the three slots. I, I, I'm, I'm digging what you're saying for sure. Um, the thought that came up, and you mentioned maybe shopping Kemba too. The thought that just came up to me um, – is Michael Jordan, like, is he willing to just sort of punt, punt on those guys and just kind of admit he got that wrong and start from scratch? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. Are we just, just thinking start from scratch with, like, Batum, Kaminsky, and psh, I don't know who else? The, yeah, I mean, this is sort of just retooling on the fly. You're not necessarily admitting – if you can trade someone away, you're not admitting that you're wrong, especially yeah. in the case of MKG, who probably still has a lot of value just because of his defense and his upside – and just because of Walker's deal, again, the Hornets could probably stomach it. Maybe they're able to assemble an average offense around him. They're never going to be elite. But I don't know if Jordan's willing to punt on those guys because, again, if you look at this roster, it's sort of built to be that maybe team in the Eastern Conference or one of the, the six maybe teams in the There's East where you look so at that maybes. cluster. Yeah. yeah. But at this point, it's not even a matter of admitting you're wrong. If you even want to be mediocre at this point – this team clearly isn't the way to go. I don't see how they've upgraded necessarily since last year. If, if everything breaks right for them, maybe they're a 35, maybe they're a 37-win team, but 37 feels like a stretch. You know what would have helped them retool? Trading away uh, that ninth pick for all those four, four first-round picks and two second-round <laughs> picks. I mean, that's well, just unfathomable to me. I can't even believe the Celtics were offering that. Yeah, actually, that's I had the same thought when the, when the deal was first sort of reported that night. I, I thought, what in the world? Why did what do the Celtics want at nine that bad? 
it just Trustees didn't make Winslow, sense. Apparently. Yeah, and that's that's what the report was. But he, I don't think I would have given up six picks for him, especially given the construction of Boston's roster. Um, and not to get too much into the Celtics, but it's it's just really hard to figure out how the Hornets turned it down. Um, I can't wrap my head around the Heat. Apparently, turned it down as well. And the only justification I have is Pat Riley's on the record as saying pretty much screw the draft. So, uh, like, so he's not going to want more picks. Yeah, and you have a chance to draft a guy who was deemed NBA ready. He has he didn't look good in summer league, but Justice Winslow projects as like maybe a, a I don't want to say a poor man's, but maybe a little bit less than a Jimmy Butler at his peak. I'm just saying ceiling. Yeah, so, similar players for sure. To, def, yeah, so definitely that tangent when you're looking at the Hornets passing up on those four picks, it's totally unfathomable. The only thing I'll say in favor of this roster is the Hornets have been a top 10 defense under Clifford in each of the last two seasons. And of the three teams now, including next year's, this one sort of looks like it's set up to defend the best of all of them. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And thanks for bringing us to a little bit of of a more optimistic tone. Um, Normally it's you that's slinging the optimism. (laughs) I know. A little uh, tables turned. But... I think it's impressive that they've had a top 10 defense the last two seasons, given the roster construction. Um, I think I think Kemba Walker's pretty tenacious on defense, but physically he lacks some tools. Al Jefferson's not a good defender. So that they were able to field those good defenses says so much about Clifford. Josh McRoberts! They were top seven defense with oh, Josh man. That's a great point. And he, was, he played tons of minutes. He was an integral part of that team. Um, now they have two guys who can potentially just lock down all opposing wings with MKG and Batum. So much length um, on the wings. I just, they, they could, like you said, they could be a nightmare defensively. Absolutely. Their biggest loss will probably end up being Bismack Biombo. I was just was thinking that too. That's the rim protector. Rim protecting fiend. And they, they used him sparingly, but it sort of helps that they staggered his minutes. Not maybe necessarily didn't stagger, but you can at least let people through. I mean, you're relying yeah. a lot right now on Batum and MKG, but at the same time, you didn't have anyone who was nearly as talented as Batum last season or the season before. You, Lance Stevenson played absolutely awful, even on the defensive end. So again, they should at least yeah, be able we, to match that top ten finish in defensive efficiency. If we just look at like, uh, if we framed Stevenson and Batum as a trade, I know it wasn't, but that's basically who he's replacing. Like, that's a massive upgrade for the Hornets. Absolutely. And it comes with a caveat. They don't know what Noah Vonley could become, but Very right, true. it's a massive upgrade. Yeah. In the short term, it's definitely an upgrade. So, I, I mean, I really like what they are in the wings. I think they do need to figure out who can protect the rim because Biombo was a great changeup in that respect. Um, and I don't think it's Seller. I don't think it's Kaminsky. It's certainly not Spencer Haas. I don't know if they have sure? that guy on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> they don't. I mean, I guess unless you're hoping that Tyler Hansborough can do it, but he's never been much Which, of a rim protector. Okay, honestly, like, no, he's not a traditional rim protector. But there were some stretches in Indiana where, like, he's just such a bully at, at, at establishing position inside that he was able to be pretty effective defensively. He's not blocking shots. But he knew – it must have been Frank Vogel um, – he knew where to be defensively, and he did a good job of doing his work early and, and keeping big men out of the paint. He's he's certainly no Biombo, but I don't know, too. maybe for sure. Um, 
I can't see him playing more than maybe 10 or 15 minutes. But I, at this point, just looking at the roster, like it that's the only to. guy you can say is the defensive big man. Something I'd, I'd like them to look into maybe down the line is once the Pacers sort of figure out where they're going, they want to be s- smaller, so to speak. Or they want to shoot a bunch yeah. of threes, run faster, be more versatile. If they're ready to throw out Miles Turner, who really should be a floor spacing five, eventually Agreed. if they're ready to throw him to the Wolves and Larry Bird is still hell-bent on picking up extra shooters, maybe you can dangle Spencer Haas in a second rounder for the expiring contract of Ian Mahimi. He's a pretty solid rim protector. could come off the bench behind Jefferson. He's probably a better option. He, he would take minutes away from Kaminsky and Zeller again, but he might just be good to have just because you don't – again, if we're talking to Tyler Hansborough as your best rim protector, you got That's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and right when you said Indiana, uh, Mahimi was the first name that came to mind. Um, we're in sync. Just look absolutely. at Absolutely. And I was actually just looking at the Pacers roster the other day. They have a lot of – Maybe not a lot, but they have big guys. They've got Jordan Hill, um, not great, but he's going to take minutes from Mahimi. Miles Turner, like you said, I think they should just put him out right away. At the um, five, too. Let him, let him yeah, shoot and block shots. Totally. So maybe Mahimi is available um, down the line, and I think he would be he, – he's a great complimentary big man for them. Just sort of a change of pace from their, their four supposed stretch fours. <laughs> What's this is sort of the team then you can't really feel good about their future or feel good about this team unless you're looking a year ahead at what could possibly happen because I don't like this roster as currently constructed that much at all. I don't know. But if you're gonna sell me on Kamitsky at the five next year, Batum at the four, and then you're gonna go from there, I like those two moves right there. You're if you're gonna tell me Kaminsky's at the five, Batum's at the four. You, you could even tell me Michael K. Gilchrist is going to be at the three, and I'll be ecstatic. I like that roster a lot better. Give You can figure out the point guard and shooting guard positions, whether you want to keep Kemba. My question here is, though, what is Cody Zeller to them? We have to assume they're committed question. to Batum. We also have to assume that they're at least a tad committed to playing with some of these floor spacing fours at the power forward spot. We know there's going to be sort of – a de-emphasis on post-play, so he's probably not their replacement for Al Jefferson. It looks like Kaminsky would be the better option there. What do you see for him here? He's a yeah, he's definitely a question mark. I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but leading up to his draft year, he was su- supposedly going to be a stretch big, too. I remember the draft experts sharing videos of him hitting threes in an empty gym like they do with every big guy. Um, but for really his call his time. there you go. For his career, he's taken two attempts in two seasons. He hit so one is, <laughs> There you go. He's one for two. So he's fifty percent shooter. He's he's ready to go. Is he just like a Mason Plumley type? Just run the floor and try to. I don't think he's as athletic as Plumley, right? No, he's not. I do think he has a little bit more offensive range because I'm looking now and more than a third of his shots for his career have come between three feet and 16 feet, uh, the three point line and 16 feet. So he's right there. He's shooting 37.3% there. That was last season. And that was an improvement from 32.7 as a rookie. 
if you get that number up to forty percent, and you're pretty much, you could probably stroke threes at a, a good enough level to maybe become. That's what that I always stretch for. Whenever I see people who take a ton of shots from sixteen feet to the three point line, I always I think, cringe. why not just take a couple steps out? Yeah, <laughs> work on it. Range. Yeah, work on it for a summer and step back. Well, that's a big problem with the Hornets is their offensive design just isn't good. Yeah, any of these teams that are still like designed to get mid-range shots are in trouble. It's just you're not going to keep up with the good offenses if you do that. So I think yeah. with a guy like Zeller, you've got to at least get him out to the corner three. Yeah, and you also – you do sort of have to break up that trio right now though, don't you? Can you play MKG, Batum, and Zeller together long term? MKG is not – a shooting guard. He'll lock shooting guards down defensively, but he's 6'8 and can't shoot. Maybe so are you this saying is... now like MKG at the 2, Batum at the 3, Seller at the 4, and Kaminsky at the 5? Is that Yeah, that's something went? they could look at. And maybe that's the maybe this is an experimental season and the Hornets are really rebuilding more than we think. Maybe those are lineups they're going to run out. If you can see that Zeller's shooting a little bit better and that MKG is shooting a little bit better, maybe you can invest in this core. I personally, I don't know if these... Those are three guys who can play together long term. Uh, maybe they're even looking at Zeller as the five and Kaminsky yeah. as the four. Yeah. I mean, they could be pretty much interchangeable. That's true. Maybe, I guess a lot just rests on the development of Zeller and MKG this season to me. And maybe that will be enough to make you feel at least a little bit better about where this team is headed. Yeah, I think if you can get any of those young guys, maybe maybe two of the – any combination of two playing well um, – Kaminsky, Zeller, MKG, one of those guys, or two of those guys, like I said. Um, I think you can have a little bit of optimism with this team. Their short-term forecast, though, um, I can't see them winning more than what do you, uh, maybe 35 games. No, with that power of an offense. The lineup we just named, if you try and play Zeller, MKG uh, together, you're losing two shooters right off the bat. And with Walker, that's three. So three of your five guys on the floor already can't shoot. Yeah. I mean, you could replace Zeller with Jefferson or, or anyone, and they're probably going to run with three guys who can't shoot threes at all times. And that's difficult to not just score with, but just win with in general. Yeah. It's just several guys who are – they don't fit efficient offense. They don't fit the mold right now. But it does look like we've used up our time – on this Hornets podcast number two. You guys will never hear the first one, That's all right. This one's better. Yeah. Um, and make sure you tell Adam that on Twitter, that this <laughs> version of the Hornets one is better than anything he ever could have been a part of. But now that our time is coming to an end, we now move on to... Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! Yes, it is time for What's Burning My Bacon. And today, I have the pleasure of grabbing the mic and having the floor. I'm going to talk about the New York Knicks and Carmelo Anthony. I don't think I've talked about them before, but I probably have because they hurt my soul. (laughs) But I'm not a guy who defends the Knicks or Melo very often, especially Melo. But there are reports now, or these still lingering reports that have been going on for a while, that he's not happy with the Knicks' direction. He didn't want Kristaps Porzingis. He's upset Phil Jackson couldn't get a star. He's going to waive his no-trade clause eventually. He is not the best player. He is not stupid either. 
you aren't going anywhere if you're mellow. You have a no-trade clause. The select teams you would accept a trade to probably aren't going to trade for you because you're 31 and coming off knee surgery. And the, the, all those teams are probably going to want to see what happens next year in free agency. Let's see where the chips lie, if we can pick up anybody else who's cheaper and possibly an upgrade over Melo. He's stuck with the Knicks until at least next summer. And if you are the Knicks, you didn't really assemble a team over the summer that's this rebuilding model. You have some guys that are supposed to help you win now and Robin Lopez and Aflalo and Kyle O'Quinn and Jose Calderon. If you want to even sniff 35 wins or a playoff spot, you need Carmelo Anthony. You don't have your own draft pick next summer. Why are we trying to start this discord between star player and franchise? It makes no sense. I'm not saying they're on the same page long term, but for at least next season, they are because they have to be. And that might be the only reason, but it's a fact. So let's just let this all die, please. So that is what is burning my bacon. Or really just turning it up, flipping it over. It's scintillating. It's blistering. It doesn't smell very good right now, but it's it's the truth. I actually like the smell of burnt bacon, but go ahead. Me too. Especially burnt turkey bacon, but that's a topic for another time. <laughs> if you guys want, you can catch us all on social media. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey. It is spelled like it sounds. Can't help if you can't do that. I am at Dan Favali. It is F-A-V-A-L-E. Hopefully you can spell my first name. Adam Frommel, who is not here today, he's on vacation because he doesn't love you guys like Andy and I do. You can find him at Frommel9, that is F-R-O-M-A-L-0-9. You can also follow the Hardwood Knox podcast on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. That one is also spelled like it sounds. Until next time, guys, thank you for listening and take care. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.